William, have you ever wondered what it takes to play a magical ice princess, an over-the-top Jewish mother, and also sing backup for Rod Stewart in Las Vegas? Staline, honestly, I didn't think all those things could exist in a single human being until this episode of The Audition. I mean, we should know better, William. It's Broadway. Is there anything these actors cannot do? They can do so much. And our guest this time is Casey Levy. And Casey is a force of nature. She played Elsa in the Broadway version of Disney's Frozen. Let it go. Let it go. Broadway Frozen (laughs) revival in the making. Starring moi. Yes, produced by moi. (laughs) And she did all the oohs and ahs for Rod Stewart in Sin City. I actually would like to hear you do that as well. That is a dream job. And we definitely didn't see that one coming. She is now playing Rose alongside the great Sharon Clark in an incredibly timely and moving revival of Carolina Change. And with these roles come fascinating and surprising audition stories that take you from the neonatal ICU to the diner and even to New Jersey. To be clear, William, I do not think we've heard anybody quite like Casey. I agree. Let's welcome Casey Levy to the audition. We should talk first about the show. So so it's Caroline or Change. It is the the creation of Tony Kushner and Janine Tesori. And it is, this is a revival of Carolina Change. And it is a show that was uh, scheduled to open right before the shutdown of Broadway in March 2020. And it just reopened in October of 2021. And, and you are one of the leading roles in the cast as Rose, who is the stepmother of the young boy who is is in in some ways at the heart of this show. And you are also the employer of Caroline. How do you describe Rose when people ask you who this character is? So you're on Broadway right now playing this character. How do you describe it to people who don't know Caroline or Change? I thought you did a great job of explaining it just now. I would say um, Rose's uh, part of the story is really, uh, and actually every character in the show is a bit of a fish out of water. Everyone's trying to figure out their lives in complicated circumstances. And Rose is uh, new to the South. She's a a New York Jew from the North in the 60s from a very left-leaning family. And she finds herself married to her recently deceased best friend's husband who's deep in grief and not really available to her in any real way for a relationship. And she is sort of plunked down in the middle of Lake Charles, trying to figure out how to mother and parent a child who has no interest in having a relationship with her and who's really hurting, of course, um, and who happens to be very close to the maid, Caroline. And Rose is also negotiating that relationship. She's not used to having a maid. She's not comfortable with it. And she also knows that Betty, her best friend who had passed, was very close with Caroline. And Caroline wants nothing to do with Rose. And Rose keeps trying just a little too hard and saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing. And even with the best of intentions, seems to make things worse for herself and for Caroline. 
in March 2020, you were still starring as Elsa in Frozen on Broadway. Is that right? Yes, in February of 2020. In February yes. of 2020. So when we were in rehearsals for Caroline, I was rehearsing by day and then going and finishing my run as Elsa at night. Okay, so you were pl- going to play Rose from from the beginning of Carolina Change. Yes, yes. We were a day away from our first audience when <sighs> the pandemic hit and Broadway shut down. We were about to have our invited dress rehearsal that night. And wow. we had to leave the theater and leave everything in our dressing rooms. We just left. It was surreal. So going from Elsa to Rose is a big, that is a <laughs> seismic yeah. shift. Yeah, it's probably probably as big a shift as you can get, I would say. She's versatile. Yes, honey. (laughs) That's the idea anyway. Um, Can you tell us, so the show is called The Audition, and at the Mm -hmm. center of it is that process that no one really understands except the people who have to do it again and again and again. So you tell us you're starring in Elsa, in Frozen, a huge hit on Broadway. When do you hear about the Rose of the role of Rose and the opportunity to audition for it for Carolina Change? So I was nearing the end of my run. I knew I was finishing in February. February 16th, 2020 was my last show as Elsa. And I guess sometime in December, maybe. Um I'm guessing I'd have to look in my my calendar, but that's when I heard that they were transferring the production, maybe a little sooner, but around December is when I called my agents, I think, and said, I think there's a role for me in this show. I haven't seen it since, I think I saw it when I was um, visiting my then boyfriend, now husband on tour. He was touring with Mamma Mia in Chicago. And I went, we went to see a production on his night off regionally and we're so blown away by the show. So I vaguely remember there was like a Jewish family and a mother role. I didn't remember how big it was. I didn't remember how important it was, anything she's saying, nothing. But I was like, let me call them. I think I, think I should maybe audition for this because um, not only do I feel like I'm right and it's a cool um, transition out of Elsa, but it's starring my old friend, Sharon D. Clark, who starred in Ghost with me in the West End. So I was like, that was on my radar anyways, because of Sharon. Um, And I knew it had done so well in the UK and that she had won the Olivier and I was so excited for her. So um, then I got the material and I said, oh, this is my job. I'm going to go get this job. Wait, what? Tell us about that moment when you read something and think this is this is mine. Yeah. Sometimes you just know, like sometimes Oftentimes, I think you just know when a project is your project and it's not in an egotistical way. It's like you read something and it resonates with you and it makes sense um, with the person that you are, the artist that you are, your skill set, whatever the case may be, the team that's involved. And you just get that sort of spidey sense that this might be something. And I've had that with almost all the jobs I've booked. And I'm I'm someone who loves auditioning. So I love that process of like, learning about a show, getting the material sent to me, checking it out, you know, putting that puzzle piece together, that challenge of like, of that whole process of auditioning. I just, I really enjoy it. So I did sort of know, like, I felt like it was the right direction for me to head in with my career next. I felt like I was the right person in New York to do the part. I couldn't really picture anybody else doing it. 
I'm sure there were other people they considered, of course, but I had this sort of like, oh no, I, I think I'm who, sh who they should hire. So I just have to really go in and be this girl, be this woman. And I mean, that's really what auditioning successfully is all about. It's just walking in the room and having them have no doubt in their minds that you're the person. Was this the first role you auditioned for after becoming a mom or did you audition for Frozen after having your son? I auditioned for Frozen originally when Alex Timbers was still attached to direct and it was in the workshop phase. I auditioned two months after my son was born. So my son's now five. And at that time, I was two months postpartum. I think I had one other audition prior, which was Cats, Grizabella and Cats. And it was when my son was still in the NICU and I was literally learning memory in the waiting room of the NICU, like belting out memory. People were like, what is happening at Mount Sinai right now? Postpartum can be very musical. Oh, Lord. Yeah. It can be a lot of things. And <laughs> apparently it can be musical. So I think it was my second audition and I felt crazy, you know, just nuts. But um, I got a call back, didn't get it. And then I was actually set to do something else when the Frozen audition came back around and Michael Grandage was then attached to direct and he wanted to audition for his Elsa and his Anna, of course. And then I went in then. So that was probably in the fall um, when Isaiah, my son, was then about I don't know, eight months old or something like that. And he's, he's, Isaiah is now what, five? He's five He's now. five. Mm -hmm. So how much of being Isaiah's mom kind of factored its way into your audition for Carolina Change? Oh, gosh. You know, I think being his mom, just knowing what motherhood was when I went in to play this mother was huge and knowing what it was like to have a boy. So I just felt like I, I understood what it was to be a boy mom, kind of, you know? But I feel like motherhood in general has impacted my auditioning and my work because doing Frozen as a mom was so interesting. It was the first show I did as, uh, sorry, the first children's-ish show or family show I did in my career, and I happened to be when I was a new mom. So I started that when he was a year, a year old. And I did it all the way until he was four and a half. So like, he's only ever known me as Elsa. But that it must was, make him like the coolest kid on the playground. It's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah like we had <laughs> his mean? birthday at the show. His whole class came to see the oh. show. We did a talk back after. It was pretty special. Yeah. Man. I mean, and his mom is Elsa. So like every fun. girl in school who dresses up and sings that song. Every girl and every boy. They, yeah, we had so right, many little boys right. in their Elsa dresses, which was heaven. Yeah, it was really, really, really cool. That's and wonderful. he would come to the theater all the time. You know, pre-COVID, we could have guests backstage. Yeah. So he would, he got to watch Let It Go in the Wings with my husband. My, mm. my stage manager set that up. And singing that while his little face was in the wings watching his mommy was just overwhelming. It was so beautiful. With his mommy with the, the superpowers. Making yeah, all that's those right. Lights exactly. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, he still thinks I'm Elsa. We still sort of talk about it. He's obviously hasn't seen Carolina change, nor will he. And um, so he just, I think he still thinks I'm Elsa in some way. Well, you are to him. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So you're, you're in Frozen in lead role, musical, so demanding. And you hear that your, your friend is going to star in this revival of a show that was a, a huge critical hit when it was down at the public and then it transferred and you know this role is for you take us into the actual audition who is there sure and what do you do what do they ask you to do 
I had two auditions. The first audition was Michael Longhurst, the director from the UK, Chris Fenwick, the music supervisor that Janine Tesori normally works with here in the US, and then Nigel Lilly, who's the music supervisor um, in the UK that she had worked with on this production. And then it was people from the casting department and, you know, a reader and someone filming because they tape everything. And they had sent me two of the songs, Long Distance, which is sort of Rose's like not really an I want song, but like her first sort of introduction to the audience. And really the only, one of the only like solo songs in the show for a character that is not Caroline. So long distance and Noah has a problem where I'm having, hatching the idea of, of um, whatever change Noah leaves in his pockets will then go to Carolyn. Carolyn is what I call her infuriatingly. Which is the pivotal. Yes. That's that's sort of the main action of the show. Yeah. Yeah. So I did those two pieces of material. I went in wearing my Bubby's dress from the 60s. So I love that, too. I love thinking about the clothes. Every what, did time that I lo- what did that dress look like? Walk us through. You know, yeah. Interestingly, I actually ended up wearing it to opening night as oh, well. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah, because it's this stunning vintage dress and my bubby and I were very close and she never liked to miss a party. And I thought she helped me get this job. I should take her to opening night. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's a very simple black dress, like a boat neck top fitted with a huge lace bow in the front. Um, And it's about knee length and it's got some lace and, you know, there's no label. God only knows who created it. Yeah. Um, But it was kept in great condition. And when I put it on, I felt like Rose and I thought, this is what I should wear, you know? So you're always kind of balancing, like you don't want to go in wearing a costume, right. but you definitely want to walk through the door and have them say, oh, there she is. Yeah. So you have to give them a little help envisioning you as the part. Did you so do vintage hair? I didn't do vintage hair. I just did a bit of a flip. Oh, okay. Because I researched- A nod you know, to the period. Exactly. Yeah. I'd looked up what the production photos were in the UK and I wanted to look like I was in the world. Yeah. Oh my God. You are a professional auditioner. You're, you do not mess around. I don't mess around when I want something. I don't mess around. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, you know, you're running your own business as an actor, right? And you want to make it as foolproof as possible. So, because, you know, I think like dating, they know in the first few minutes, if it's going to work, you know, they know Mm -hmm. right away when you meet someone, you're like, either you spark or you don't. Mm -hmm. And that happens in the audition room too. There's just that mystery. So you want to try to give them every reason to be on your side and every reason to convince them that you're the person. Right. So back to the room. So back you're to the in, room. yeah, you're in Bubby's yeah, dress. So I'm in Bubby's dress. I, I start, the, you know, we do some pleasantries. I know a couple people in the room because I've been around long enough. And so have they, and then I meet Michael and Nigel who are new to me, but we had people in common because I've worked in the UK a little bit um, on the West end. So we kind of chit chat and then they say, you know, okay, let's jump in. Let's work on, let's see the sides. Let's see the music. And, um, and we just kind of did it. And there was a little back and forth. I don't think they gave me any adjustments. I think it was more just kind of letting me present, you know, sometimes it ends up a bit of a work session where they give you some notes, you try something again. I don't remember if that happened that time. It was, you know, they were laughing. I I could feel them on board with me and I was having fun. I felt free and relaxed in the room, even though of course I was nervous because I wanted to get it. And by the time I left, I was fairly certain that it went very well. So when I got the call for the callback, I was very excited and I knew Tony Kushner and Janine Tesori would be there. So I did the same thing. You wore the same dress? 
Yeah. You always wear the same thing to the callback. It's oh. a bit old school, but it's what people do. Like uh, generally speaking. Okay. Which is, especially if you're doing something like a period piece, you know, if they liked what you wore, if you didn't get a note from your agents after the first audition, like, Hey, can she wear something different? Sometimes that'll happen. Mm. Um, or can she do something with her hair or whatever? But if they've said nothing, you tend to wear the same thing. How much time between the first audition and, and when you found out you were getting called back? I think it was a couple days. Um, it might've even been the next day. Sometimes it's fast. Usually when people are in from out of town, like from the UK, they try to do everything rather quickly. But you felt rather confident after the first audition that you, you were on to something and you were pretty sure you were getting called back. I was. Yeah. Yeah. I just had that feeling, you know, amazing. Yeah. Okay, so then, then the when I went back, back yeah. in <clears throat> and, and now Tony Kushner and Janine Tesori are in the room. Right. Yes. And now I know it's my last audition. So it's like, okay, this is either going to book me the job or not. So I just, I, I had in between this time, of course, continued to work on the material. I'm a big fan of renting a room in a rehearsal studio. Back when I was in Manhattan in my little apartment, I would have to go and rent space. Now I live in a house in Jersey, so I have space and no one can hear me belt. But back then I would go and get some space and just work, you know, put in some time, try things out, make sure I was off book, all of those basics that you really need to to have going for you, especially for a final callback. And then I went in, uh, they were lovely and warm and I did all the same material again. And that was kind of it. I left and I said, I think I booked that job. And then I wow. found out. When did you find out? I want to say that day or the next day that I, that I got it. And I was so excited. What does that feel like when you, when you think, I think I just booked that job. Is it that you, you nailed the performance. You, it was something in the room. Like what is, what contributes to that feeling? I think it mostly is about the material, but then it's also about the whole experience. It's like, you know, when you've done a good job on the material and sometimes, you know, oh, I could have done that a little bit better had I been a little more prepared or I did that one song really well, but that other song, it just didn't feel like I was in the pocket. And you do just sort of, the more you audition, the more it becomes your job to audition, which is really what an actor's job is to do, right? Um, the more in tune you are with that skill set. So you start to be able to tell what's going on in there, even though it's a little bit of an out-of-body experience, you sort of have like a sixth sense about how it's going. So it feels great when what your experience was matches <laughs> the outcome, you know, when they call and say, yes, you did get it. You're like, okay, crazy. Uh, great. I'm not crazy. Like I'm relieved that I'm not delusional here. Cause sometimes, you know, you do feel that it goes great and it doesn't go your way. And I think in those instances, it's not necessarily about someone being better than someone else. Actually, I think mostly it's never really about competition from another person. It's more about you're in competition with your best self. Like, are you going to produce your best work that day or not? And then I always tend to feel great that even if I've done my best audition and it doesn't go my way, I know there wasn't anything else I could have done in the room that they went another way because a different look, a different person, a different vibe, a different piece of the puzzle, you know? So that's like what I strive for, regardless of booking it or not, you want to kind of leave feeling like you did your best, you know? Wow. I mean, you, we've still, and I've talked to a lot of people. I mean, you are, I mean, this is really, unusual. I think most people are so riddled with insecurity. Um, even, you know, very accomplished people end up leaving auditions feeling like, okay, I think I did a good job. And then there's this agonizing 
but you don't seem to agonize you. If you feel like you brought it, you leave feeling confident that, you know, you did your best thing. I'm just curious, like you have, you're so self-aware and you're so confident. I'm wondering how. Well, I also feel crazy and like, I'm never going to work again. And I have all of the imposter syndrome, Of course. all of that as well. Like it's, it's literally side by side all the time. I think I just am self-aware enough to know when I've done a good job and when I haven't. And I try to, when I know I want a gig and I know I'm right for it, I try not to leave any reason for it to feel like I uh, didn't do my best. So like, I really am a big fan of homework. I'm a big fan of preparation. I teach a lot and that's like the number one thing I'm always passing on to people because they look at my resume maybe and think like, oh wow, she just like goes from job to job to job. But I don't get tons of jobs all the time. I'm constantly auditioning and not booking things, right? That's just like the numbers game of it. But I feel like as actors, we're in control of so little that when you can take ownership of the stuff you can control, then it's empowering. And then it's easier when you don't get something to go, okay, I didn't get it for God knows whatever reason, but I know I did everything I could have done. And there is like a sense of peace in that because the whole business is crazy and scary and vulnerable and you feel like you suck and everyone hates you like 95% of the time, for sure. So I have all of that very much. I just like talking about the skills of auditioning because I dig it. Like, I think it's fun. It's a fun challenge. So I enjoy it. Yeah, I think this is something that, you know, even if you're not an actor, like always be prepared and do your homework. And these are, you know, basic kind of life lessons. Um, I'm curious about Elsa versus this this role here, which is a, a sort of smaller production. What was it like auditioning for a big, giant Disney production? How is that process different than something that might be a little bit more intimate like this? It was very different than Caroline, for instance. You know, I was auditioning for Todd Hames and Roundabout and the British team and Tony and Janine. But with Disney at my final, there were 50 people in the audience of a theater. My final callback was on stage at the Little Schubert Theater on 42nd Street. Which oh, is very wait. cool. So tell us just because, you know, Elsa's not even just a character anymore. I mean, she's this like cultural. Yeah. She's an icon. She's yeah. an icon. Yeah. This is a great story, too, I have to say. Yeah. Um, my, my sort of frozen audition journey. When I went back in for Michael Grandage, so after that first audition. And, and before Elsa, tell mm-hmm. us sort of where you were. Before Elsa, I had just had my son. Okay. And I had just came back. I had just come back from singing backup for Rod Stewart for a few months, which was like a totally So you random... went on tour with Rod Stewart. Yeah. I, I played Vegas with him. Yeah. Oh, my God. God. It was a good my money. Does he still sing that song? Uh, he sure does. Oh, yeah. And I was doing that. Oh my God. It was crazy. I was doing like, I was wearing flapper dresses and like being sexy and dancing with the mic and doing all sorts of step touching. And uh, <laughs> Amazing. I did that when my son was five months old. It was my first job after having him. And I talk about feeling scared. I booked that thing over sending in some choreo and some vocal samples over, you know, a self tape. And then when I got it, I totally panicked, like deeply panicked and said, to him, I don't think I can do this. Like, I don't know this world. I'm, they're going to find me out that I'm, you know, and I had to go out to LA and learn the show and like 
have the, I had to put on the confidence to just make myself do it. Cause I was so thrown off from having a baby and being in that world and not being on stage for so long for like a year. That was like maybe the longest I've ever gone. So it took a lot for me to kind of get back up and running, but that gig, it was sort of like my welcome back to yeah. performing. Yeah. I, you know, I think also people see you on stage as Elsa and see you in Carolina change. And, you know, there's also the Rod Stewart tour. You know, I, I think working all the time means that it's going to take you many different places and being yeah. open to that is also part of of this life. Definitely. I mean, I it's interesting because I think years ago, artists had this kind of life and other professions didn't. But now it feels like whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or you work in the magazine world or the advertising world, it's all as sort of wild as being an actor these days. Like your job can take you any which way, different cities, different countries. Everything is a lot more fluid now. And so it is about like keeping your cool around all of that, especially when you're auditioning and trying to book the next thing. So let's go back though to Frozen. And can I ask you, since so many people are like dying for this role, during this time in between work session and final callback, do you start to hear sort of gossip and chatter. Oh yeah, totally. I mean, even during my work session, you know, I saw the person, the friend that was going in right before me and the friend that was going in right after me, you know, you're sitting, in, you're here. I, I, yeah. I would die. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> it's weird. You know, like we're used to it and it's still weird. Cause you're like, yeah. Hey, yeah. how are you? You know? <laughs> and like, everyone is different. Like I tend to want to have a little bit of quiet before I go in the room, but I don't want to be rude to my friends in the waiting room. So I say some hellos and then I sort of go inward. Other people are chatty right up until the minute they walk in. And so you have to sort of like gauge what other people need. So you're pleasant, but you're not like invading someone's space right before they go and sing, let it go, you know? So yes, I had heard by then most of the people that were probably up for it. But you know, with this process too, they were casting all of these roles. So there was like a whole pool of people I knew for Elsa, people for Anna, people for um, Kristoff and Olaf and um, Hans. And this has never happened to me before, as I mentioned, but we did the final callback on stage uh, in a Broadway theater, off-Broadway theater, I suppose, on 42nd Street, which was so cool and felt like like, you know, leftover from like the golden days of Broadway. Like you hear about old timey Broadway stars having their call back on stage. That's never happened before to me. So that was really fun and nerve wracking because. Yeah, it's like a chorus line. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and like there's something about being in a small rehearsal room, you know, even with the terrible lighting and like there's no sound bouncing and it's flat and whatever, but it's like kind of cozy. It's different when you are on stage alone and there's 50 Disney executives out in the audience, which is what it was. And so this is where the story gets fun. So I show up that morning. It's pouring rain, of course. And you're like lugging. What do you stuff. wear to these Frozen auditions? So each time I wore something slightly different, I was like evolving my Elsa audition look. So for my work session, I had bought this black silk um, A-line skirt and I wore like a bodysuit, long sleeve bodysuit. So I looked almost kind of witchy, but I knew I wanted to wear something that showed off my figure because that was part of it. And I could still move and sing in. So nothing too restrictive. 
they liked that, but I think it was a little too witchy. I didn't really want to wear blue because that felt a little, I don't know, on the nose. So I, I wore black. But then for my final, I ended up wearing this two-piece blue thing with like a flowy skirt and like a tiny crop top, like a tiny bit of skin showing. And then like a, a conservative, like sleeveless little blue crop top. And I was carrying it because it was raining. So I was wearing my hunter boots and my leggings and like 18 layers of coats and stuff and carrying my stuff. Everybody was. And I walk in and it's literally uh, everyone that works on Broadway, like actor wise, is just like there. And we're all like, hey, and we're all auditioning for the same stuff. And are you watching each other audition? No, but we're all in the backstage area. So there's dressing rooms. So people are claiming spots on dressing rooms. Again, like so not done usually. So it was extra. It felt like a TV show, honestly. It felt like, felt like smash kind of. People are warming up. People are hugging. People are chatting, you know. And I, I go in and I do my session. So, you know, Bernie walked me in on stage, 50 people in the audience. And I'm like, hello, hi. You know, you're belting out to chat to them. And we go through the material and I could tell it was going well. I could feel that it was, I was doing what I wanted to do. I think they were liking it. You know, I, I was happy with it. I leave, I finish my material and I leave and I go out in the waiting room. A few more people come in, they come out and say, okay, we're going to break for lunch. You guys go to lunch. So-and-so, so-and-so you guys need to stay. So I was one of the people that they called to stay. So me and my friend, who was my understudy in Ghost the Musical and now was up for Elsa as well. We go around the corner and get lunch. We're like, okay, let's go get some food. So we had to get out of our clothes and put back on all of our rain gear because it was pouring rain. So I go around the corner. We pick up some soup to go. I'm walking back in 20 minutes later with leggings, my hunter boots, and the crop top on, but a big chunky sweater over it. I had just taken off the flowy skirt. And Michael Grandage, the director, and Bernie Telsey are walking around the corner and they stop me. They go, Casey, come here. And I'm literally dripping wet, holding a thing of soup, like New York to go soup in my boots. <laughs> and they're like, Hale and Hardy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, not even that good. It was just diner soup. And Michael says to me, um, I love what you're doing in there. It's wonderful. Well, I, here's what I want you to do. When you come back in, don't put on your heels and that skirt, wear this. And I went, first of all, I was very excited that he was talking to me and remembered my name. And then I'm literally <laughs> like standing with my umbrella and soup. And I was like this, like my rain boots. And he was like, mm-hmm, come in in your rain boots. I love how you're walking right now. You're just kind of chill and tough. Come in with the rain boots. And I was like, okay. And I look at Bernie and he's going, yeah, do whatever the director says, you know? So they're like, great, go put your stuff down, come in. And I was like, oh, now, okay. So I chuck my stuff down, I grab my sides and I go in in my boots, my chunky sweater and my leggings. And I do all the material again. And I could see some of the people that I knew out there kind of giving me a little something, a little nod, a little energy. And I could feel prior to that, you know, in the two moments of walking in, I thought, okay, well, they they clearly want me to do well. Like if the director's pulling me aside and trying to tell me a tip to help me get this job, like they're on my side. And uh, after that time, I felt like how I felt with Rose. I was like, I think I just booked that job. Like I left and I was like, okay, I think then, you know, they had other people come in, of course, they finished out the day. I think the next day, 
Michael called me to tell me directly that I had booked it, which was very cool. That's amazing. Ah. Yeah. Did changing did changing your outfit following his direction did that change the performance? I think I think it did. I think that they got to see, you know, uh, Dangerous to Dream is such a vulnerable, soft song for Elsa. And I think they wanted to see the hard and the soft together. And so for whatever reason, me walking in in those boots from the street as just like Casey, they were like, oh, we want that tough strength to come into the vulnerability that you're giving us in the song. And whatever that marriage of those two things was, that was the recipe for them that made them go, okay, that's, that's who we want. Confidence and vulnerability, Staline. These are the key words. What an amazing talent to combine those two things. No, there is so much to learn from these audition stories and how she approaches them. You know, William, I'm going to go see Casey and her Bubby's dress in Carolina change at least one more time. At least. And it's running through January 9th. Go see it, everybody. Go see Carolina Change and go see a show. And thank you all for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we will be back very soon with a holiday gift for everybody. Audition stories with the one and only Andre DeShields. The audition is produced by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and Howie Kahn for Freetime Media with me, William Lee. And me, Staline Volandis. Our music is by John Palmer. Special thanks to Jessica Johnson, Molly Barnett, Chelsea Knackman, Scott Pask, Justin Robertson, and Lauren Tappan. And to Martinis. And to Martinis. Cheers. Cheers.